get yourself some of this. In this corner with Brian Campbell is back and it's ready to connect with a superplex of passion and noise and be sure to hook that leg with the irresistible dose that you know and love as performance enhancing audio. The Brian Campbell is the voice you hear in this very special bonus edition of the ITC Pro Wrestling Pod featuring an exclusive interview with the phenomenal one himself, A. Jay Styles. But before we get into specifics about today's show and provide our own take on really what has been an incredible journey for Styles since joining WWE, let me tag in my partner for this bonus audio. You may have noticed this is not the voice of the insanely talented and insecurely handsome Nick Costos, although you'll be hearing plenty of that man very shortly in our talk with AJ. But joining me today is the Nick Patrick and Danny Davis of the In This Corner podcast. He's been called a crooked judge. He's been called wrestling royalty. Well, let me spit that out again. He is the Silver King. Adam Silverstein. And uh... Adam, I don't want to pull a Barry Horowitz here and tap ourselves on the back, but talk about a big week for the In This Corner Wrestling podcast. I mean, you know, we had an incredible talk with the big dog himself, Roman Reigns, on this week's regular ITC wrestling show, and now AJ Styles. You fired up for this or what? Yeah, I mean, what? We have the biggest star on Raw and the biggest star on SmackDown back-to-back days. I think that's a pretty big deal. Over here at the ITC. Hey, let's let's we, we might as well shoot for I don't know the biggest star in NXT. You know, maybe try to track down uh, Funaki-san to translate Oscar for us. You know, we'll, we'll we'll keep going across the board here. But Adam, I wanted to thank the good folks at WWE and Boom Studios who are collaborating once again on a project that appeals to both comic book and pro wrestling fans alike. We were able to chat at length with AJ Styles for this show because he has co-written a short story with Michael Kingston of Headlocked Comic Book Fame for part of what will be Boom Studios' presentation on January 10th in stores. It's called the WWE Royal Rumble 2018 Special. It's a comic book celebrating the greatest hits of Rumble history, including Ric Flair's 92 victory, Shawn Michaels going the distance in 95. This specific short story that AJ co-authored is titled The Debut of AJ Styles and focuses on what that day was like behind the scenes in Orlando, Florida. You know that date, January 24th. 2016, the Royal Rumble, the debut of AJ Styles with the WWE. Adam, before we hear from AJ about that, let's sort of take our own snapshot at really how impactful that moment was. What are your personal memories? 2016 Royal Rumble, you sit down and watch it, and in that number three spot, the unfamiliar music at the time, they don't want none. Where were you at as an AJ fan at that moment? What did that impact of that debut feel like? Yeah, so with me... I didn't, I didn't really have a lot of AJ Styles history. I certainly knew who he was. Um, I had seen two, three New Japan matches with him. Just, hey, you have to see this guy. You know, when someone tells you, you got to see this guy wrestle uh, Shinsuke Nakamura, you say, okay, I'm going to go watch him wrestle Shinsuke Nakamura. Um, knew that he was a big deal in TNA. Knew that he had some time at Ring of Honor, but didn't know necessarily what he was capable of in an American wrestling ring, in a match like the Royal Rumble, in a company like WWE. Um, so I see him come out, and you know who it is. From the face, but the first thing that struck me, I think, hopefully, same thing that struck you, the soccer mom hair. I'm like, what's going on? With this <laughs> Absolutely. Look, Styles, uh, he had a great Rumble debut, right? He lasts 20 minutes, 58 seconds, comes out at number three, eliminates a pair of guys, hangs out until he's the 11th person eliminated. Ironically enough, by Kevin Owens, who he just had the most recent feud with. I remember being really impressed by this debut. 
Didn't watch him in TNA. You know, I've been in and out in TNA during that stretch. Didn't really specifically remember a whole deal of his greatest moments. Seen a couple New Japan matches when that buzz really started to get around. But here's what I was caught by. One, the crowd massively popped for this. Like, they knew, they were hoping you had heard the rumors online coming in. Two, his moveset was next level right away. You were like, wow, this guy's unique. I want to see more of him. He's small, but certainly he's athletic. He's explosive. Three, he really seemed to own this moment. Like, this guy entered WWE as a finished product. And that's a finished product, not just, you know, in the ring in terms of athleticism, but owning the confidence that he needed to pull that moment off. I certainly didn't know, though, Adam, that this would kick off an incredible 2016, an incredible debut year for any superstar we'd ever seen in WWE, which we'll, you know, we'll get to in a minute to see where that sort of ranks in our own opinions. But when you see this Rubble match, did you say, oh, wow, this guy's a main event threat tomorrow? You know, where were you sort of sitting on that? Well, the, the thing that with AJ Styles at WWE started with the Royal Rumble and has continued, and we'll get to it, throughout his short career there so far, is they're booking him well. They're booking him like a major player, and they're booking him correctly. So he doesn't just come out number three in the Royal Rumble and go up against Goldust. He comes out, and Roman Reigns is waiting in the ring for him. And Roman Reigns is leaning against the ropes like, who is this guy? This guy's major. The fans are popping. He doesn't just come out and run to the ring. He strides to the ring slowly, and you feel the moment. And they allow you, they allow the fans to tell you the story. This is important. This is a major guy. What he's about to do is important. And he goes in, and he's there for 30 minutes in the Rumble, and he was impressive. And what they did immediately after that with him, with Chris Jericho, and we're going to get into all of that, it just kind of set the tone for this is a guy who we're bringing in. It's not Mike Kanellis. We're not having him feud with Sami Zayn. We're not having you know a, a geeky theme. We're allowing him to be the phenomenal AJ Styles. We're allowing him to have a sick entrance theme, which we love. And we're allowing him to face off number one with the big dog Roman Reigns in the middle of the main event of our top three biggest show of the year. Yeah, and shout out to Mike Kanellis. No disrespect to him, but this, this felt massive. That's why I, I'm really... You know, pumped up for this Boom Studios project. Anybody that didn't see what they put out in 2016, the series of comic books, like I'm not a comic book guy. Like first and foremost, I'm like polar opposite to the to the you know to the lifestyle to the to the sort of content. Really, I'm not a real fantasy guy either. The, what I love about these comic books, they're not fantasy. They're they're a real life portrayal of of you know storylines we've already seen. Sometimes extending the storylines. They put out a or a series on the Shield this year that really kind of took it next level. The uh, Then Now Forever series. You saw Seth Rollins three parts that were added into one book. His whole arc. I want to see what behind the scenes stuff they they show and what AJ you know will talk about today on this show about what that was like. You know how they had hit him backstage. You know for this big of a moment. It showed you Adam which, you know, copies your point of having him walk into the ring and stare down Roman Reigns, it showed you that they knew they were getting something special, right? They knew they were getting someone that had the potential to be a main eventer. I'm not sure, and this is kind of what I want to debate, did they know he could have the 2016 that he went on to have? Did they know that in the booking and in in the thoughts? I mean, obviously, they're waiting to see how the crowd reacts just as much as we and AJ are. Do you think at that point... What, not do you think, what do you think their plans might have been for him at that point? Yeah, it's tough to say. I mean, I don't think, this is one of the questions I don't think we did ask him, which was, who brought you in? Like, was it Triple H? Was it Vince? Was it Michael P.S. Hayes? You know, how did you actually get here? And I'm, I'm sure we'll have other opportunities with him in the future to ask him that type of question. But you have to remember how he got to WWE. He was coming off a massive run in New Japan with the Bullet Club. 
Um, and he had he was going to go, I think, if I remember correctly, back to TNA. I think he had a pretty big offer for him, Gallows and Anderson, to all come back. And that was kind of assumed it was what was going to happen. And then WWE comes in at the last minute with a blowaway offer. They give him what I assume is a really good amount of money. And they say, we want you and we have plans for you. We're going to bring you in. My assumption is someone like Triple H or someone uh, a little bit more modern in wrestling said, this guy is special. Let's we, we have a future WWE world champion here with this guy. Let's pay him what it takes to get him and his friends into the company. I don't necessarily know that they f- would assume that he would be so hot from day one and be a champion as quick as he was and go on to the things he's gone on to. You know, you have guys in the company now, Shinsuke Nakamura, Kevin Owens, that are big elsewhere, overseas, um, in independence and Ring of Honor. But they're not AJ Styles. AJ Styles is a different level than these guys, and that's no disrespect to anyone like Kevin Owens or Shinsuke Nakamura, but it's the way his moves connect with the fans. Shinsuke is very strong. Kevin's very kind of flashy in a grungy type of way. Uh, but AJ just has – he's the he's phenomenal. He has the skill set to go along with the mic skills, to go along with the storytelling. And he puts over other people, you know, Kenny Omega, Christopher Daniels is the best in the world. It might actually be AJ Styles who's the best in the world. And that's the the cool part about this hire at that time. It was WWE in the middle of a run of looking out at the landscape and saying, okay, who's the best guy in the world not in our company, which is, like you said, it's a question we asked people on the red carpet, you know, during SummerSlam weekend that we ran last week. And, you know, it was Finn Balor for a while, right, who was ahead of the, 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 excuse me, the Bullet Club in New Japan, and they went out and got him. Well, who replaced Finn Balor the day after he left the Bullet Club? AJ Styles. Styles wins the IWGP Heavyweight Championship, makes an incredible run for, you know, an American-born guy in Japan. Guess what happens? They pull him. Well, the day that Styles left New Japan Wrestling, it was Kenny Omega who took over the top spot in the Bullet Club, who beat down Styles, who put Styles in the Styles Clash. So, you know, obviously Omega not yet in the company probably feel like eventually that's going to happen but it felt like a good run where hey they had success with Balor before this now they're having success with Styles the difference though Adam is they sent Balor to NXT they sent Styles to the main roster and when it was time to start that first feud they gave him Chris Jericho which really was the perfect launch. I thought it was similar to when Nakamura comes in, you give him Dolph Ziggler. For all the trusted reasons, you give him that veteran. When I knew that it was going to be Styles Jericho, I peaked. it piqued my interest. And then when they go into the frenemies zone for a while with the Y2AJ, and you know my complaint on this, WWE, bring back your retro t-shirts. Y2AJ was only, what, a year and a half ago? That t-shirt was available for like seven days, and now it's gone. You can't find it anywhere. I want to be repping a Y2AJ t-shirt right now. How did you feel about this kickoff feud for AJ? No, I completely agree with that shirt, by the way. like If WWE is listening to this, and we hope they are, at least to check out the type of interview that we did with their one of their biggest stars, put that shirt back on the market, or at least send us Three or four of them. Please so send us. And by the way, they did put the Nexus shirt on the WWE yeah. shop website for the first time that I'd seen in forever. I'm going to buy the crap out of that once it goes down to $4. Sorry, WWE, but you know you know I will. But hey, send us some free some free stuff. So, uh, Adam, I do want to get your take on this. Him and Jericho do that frenemies thing. It ends, remember, burning the Y2AJ shirt in the garbage can. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, like you said, placing him with Jericho in the first you know, idea, the first place, that's what you have to do. I mean, you're, you're putting two legends together to work and you're allowing AJ Styles to shine because there's a guy that allows him to shine. And Jericho, to his credit, he doesn't get enough credit for this, puts dudes over. Like yes. He does it better than anyone and he doesn't care if you're a veteran. He doesn't care if you're a rookie. He did it to Fandango at WrestleMania. He's sure as hell going to put AJ Styles over. 
Um, but you, you, then you have to think, okay, well, Styles is the face. You want Jericho to get some face rub after they just had a really respectful, nice series. They, they shake hands at the end after uh, AJ beat him, and they do the tag team. And the tag team's amazing. And then guess what? You can turn Jericho heel on a dime. So you have them heel, uh, uh, heel rivalry again, and you have it at WrestleMania. And you have Jericho go over and shock everyone at WrestleMania getting the win over Styles. That was the biggest surprise of that whole WrestleMania for me. And that was a pretty good WrestleMania with a couple surprises in there. But Jericho winning that match, it also showed AJ Styles doesn't mind putting people over. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and so, also Styles came out of that, what, with like the number one contendership, right? So just, just to fill in some of the blanks, they did wrestle the New Day for the Tag Team Championship at the at the peak of Y2AJ, that brief thing on March 7th episode of Raw. Then Jericho turns on him. That match at WrestleMania that you mentioned – that was almost the sleeper best match of that WrestleMania. And under you know, an underwhelming WrestleMania thirty two for the build up and for the Cowboy Stadium push that you got. That was a match nobody talks about in the great matches for AJ Styles that followed. I was just as surprised as you in the moment. Why is Jericho going over? AJ was showing you in that first, what, two months that he was someone very special. Jericho perfectly put that over in context. Looking back at him, is that a Vince rib? We're going to humble this guy just to make sure we're going to let him know his place. You're coming in. We're giving you that push, but you're not going over at Mania. You think it might be, you know, I mean, that that makes sense. I think it was almost more of a gift for Jericho. Like, thanks for doing such a great job putting AJ over in his introduction to the company. Like, you're the veteran. You deserve this moment at WrestleMania. Don't forget, coming out of WrestleMania, it's not like AJ got buried. He was immediately thrust into, like, a fatal four-way match, became the number one contender for the title. So I think AJ didn't need the win because he was always already so strong. He had already proved himself from January until the beginning of April. This is a guy. He doesn't lose matches. And if he does, it's really close to the best that you know ever did it in Chris Jericho. So he can lose at WrestleMania and still save face. And guess what he did in a big way? And, uh, you know, we do the pay-per-view rewind segment on this show, which I love. I almost want to, uh, you know, drop everything and go, let's do this Jericho-Styles match from 32. Just as a reminder, because, look, there were no gimmicks. There were no stipulations. There was no outside interference. There was no spot through a table. This was just basic, really awesome chain wrestling. And I think it's one, anybody out there listening, go back and rewatch that. Well, you mentioned the number one contender, the fatal four-way that followed this. Involved Kevin Owens, Jericho, Cesaro. That sort of clinched and ended the Jericho feud and spun us forward to, you're going to hear, you heard me talk about it with Roman Reigns, you're going to hear me talk about it on this show with AJ, how much I loved the Styles-Reigns feud that followed, how underrated it is, how short it was, and what this did, Adam, was reunite Styles with Bullet Club stablemates Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson. Got everybody excited that we're going to do the Bullet Club all over again. Instead, they softly called it the club, a, a name that has obviously been erased since then. What I didn't hate was sort of the psychology in putting these two together. AJ was the babyface. Gallows and Anderson were trying to tease him into dastardly behavior. Like, hey, remember when we went up and down the road in Japan and we did all these, you know, horrible heel things? Let's do it again. I like the basic 1980s storytelling that came with that. I didn't. Um, here's the thing. So I didn't know really about the Bullet Club in a major way. I mean, I knew what it was and what it was about. But I didn't know it like I do now when they were teasing the club in WWE with AJ joining. If you're going to start a faction in a company, go all the way. Like there's there's no pussyfooting around. Like it doesn't make sense to have him like kind of wishy-washy and then one week he does take their help and then one week he doesn't. And by the way, this wasn't like a two-week or three-week build. It was like seven weeks of AJ Styles not being sure if he was friends with them still or wasn't. Good or point. Maybe 
he is friends, but like he doesn't like their dastardly ways. So he's the good guy, but maybe he's a little bad because he's still kind of edgy. Like, so wait, am I am I hindsighting getting too excited when you're like, hey, dude, don't remember that was like eight painful weeks. It was like like it just wasn't good. And then they had the draft and they pulled the the you know Gallows and Anderson to the other brand or AJ to the other brand, whichever way it went, I forget. But it was just a failure. Like WWE, if you want to do the Bullet Club or a version of the Bullet Club with three guys who are totally over with that audience, then just do it. Like, you don't have factions now. Factions yeah. in WWE, them not having them right now, is a major problem with the company. You put factions together, you can throw whomever in there, give them a little edge, and they can go far. They'll sell merch, they can main event, they can all hold the title at the same time. We've seen it dozens and dozens of times over and over again. With the club, it was just a massive failure. It was like, almost they wanted to dip their toe in and see, will this work? Like, will people like it? And then they just took their foot out of the water and said, yeah, I wonder if they wanted to see, like, are the shirts going to be flying off the rack? Can we recreate the Bullet Club? And I think they found out that when you soft play it, you can't. So your negativity on this topic is justified in the sense that they teased you with the club, didn't come through with it. I like just sort of that simplistic storytelling. And it led to this short, meaning two months, only two pay-per-view match feud with Reigns. It yeah. did have some high moments when you consider that this brought the Usos back into the mix, and they were by Reigns' side. And you had Reigns versus Styles, both baby faces at the time, but both acting in an edgy way, which happens, by the way, when you put two baby faces together, right? Whether it was Reigns and Daniel Bryan in 2015 at Fastlane, or whether it's right now with Reigns and Cena, there's a fun dynamic. People are sort of allowed to act like heels. You saw a little bit of that here, but what we got, Adam, were two matches that were almost basically identical and almost both basically ruled payback and extreme rules main events wwe championship aj styles versus roman reigns both four to four and a half star matches that i thought were fantastic both clean pins for roman reigns but i almost feel like while that feud if you think about it in wwe terms put styles over in defeat because it showed him go up against their number one you know, face of the company reigns at that moment and look really good and nearly defeat him, you can also flip it and say Styles made Roman Reigns in that feud because I have not seen Roman have a bad match or a bad feud, maybe a couple bad moments on the mic, but not a bad match or a bad feud since this moment. Personally, Adam, I think this was Roman Reigns' in-ring graduation moment. I think AJ lifted him up to that next level. The big dog probably don't want to hear me say that, but what do you think about that? No, I think you might actually agree with that. Um, I agree. It, it, that's definitely correct. I didn't mind that the matches had the interferences. I didn't mind what I love. I actually love when they have someone interfere in a match or a disqualification, and you, as a fan, you're like, "Oh man, they ruin it with a gimmick, you know, finish, and this sucks, and we're not actually getting a real thing." And then they restart the match. I love when they do that. So they did that the first time. I think it was at Payback, and then if I remember, Extreme Rules was the the first one was with Gallows and Anderson interfering. Then back at Extreme Rules, it was Jimmy and Jay and the Usos helping Roman. Um, so I didn't really mind it either time. I, I liked the way they kind of put him together. Going back, just to keep complaining like I like to do and always do, <laughs> I thought they had an opportunity to have a club stable and like a Samoan stable with three legitimate family members, you know, with Reigns. And, and don't forget, Jimmy and Jay also, people were really hating on Reigns for a while, but they loved the Usos still at that point. They weren't heels yet. So they helped Roman get over as well. So... I thought there was two missed opportunities with that feud. Now, that still said, everything you said holds true. Uh, Styles went over in defeat, and he really helped Reigns in the ring, and just as a character, get over in victory.
I mean, you had so many classic near falls in those two matches. So many, I just the, the the contrast right between AJ's athletic ability, Roman's power game was really perfect. I I know that there's long term business between these two. Maybe that's why this was such a short little feud to test the waters, see where they're both at. Really, man, when they reconnect, I mean, like, I, I don't want to you know be too hyperbolic, uh, you know, hy- too much too hyperbolic. But when you're talking about stars at this level, it's impossible not to. I think, Adam, I know AJ's already 40, but this could be the kind of WrestleMania main event that you run back a couple times, like Rock, Austin, like Cena, uh, Rock. I mean, you know, not not out of play to say that, right? No, I think that's fair. Uh, You look at who are the biggest stars in the company. You have AJ, Roman, uh, Finn is up there, especially if they actually give him some juice again, which they haven't, and it's been a really big issue. Um, KO can be a WrestleMania main eventer, but I don't think they'll probably put him in that role, or at least not the main main event. Uh, And then you have Seth Rollins, who's really, really over, uh, but I don't think he'd necessarily get there as a face. So you look at who would really who who's going to sell pay-per-views at WrestleMania in a title match. And it's AJ Reigns in one form or the other. It's obviously not going to be this year. They're not at all heading towards that now. But I think 34, 35, you're going to see it uh, and they can run it back. And it doesn't have to be multiple WrestleManias. It can be SummerSlam, WrestleMania, Royal Rumble, you know, some combination of it. Man, Bart Scott needs to be here to tell me, can't wait, can't wait for that one. I want to say this, though, something that, and now we're in the midst of AJ's 2016 here as we break it down. Something started to happen in the first half of AJ's 2016. Maybe other people feel this all the time, but me as a wrestling fan, I entered back into like the pure babyface mark zone as a wrestling fan where... AJ was so over for the right reasons, not for the cheesy reasons because he comes out and rips people on the microphone, not for the, oh, you know, Neville, he's doing party favor, high-flying things. For all the right reasons, I started to cheer for him in a in a, such a pure sense of just wanting to see him achieve. That doesn't normally happen to me as an adult, as a quote-unquote, you know, wrestling journalist, that at that moment where he didn't go over reigns, where I ex- it respected both matches, respected the booking. I still had questions and problems in that moment saying, man, I think he deserved it. I think he deserved in storyline to go over Roman. But I'll press pause to that because what happened next, Adam, certainly made up for it. The few they introduced and the way they introduced it. The final Roman AJ match was Extreme Rules, like I mentioned. The next night on Raw, May 30th, 2016, AJ Styles and John Cena produced a moment where it was right in the middle of that Styles like, hey, should I trust these club guys? They keep getting in the way. They keep causing cheating when I don't want to cheat. The club comes out when AJ and Cena are having a baby face on baby face promo moment of respect. It looks for a second like Cena and Styles are going to team up and start their own Y2AJ. And what happens? Styles turns heel. Tell me if I'm overblowing this. It was a feel spot moment. That was an awesome moment. He pump faked he was going to help, and he turned around, and he knocked out Cena clean. They beat him up. They picked the bones. They stood over him. I still look back at that and saying, in AJ's rise, it's a moment nobody talks about, but it was impactful. Turned heel, and it was believable. It was, and no, you're not overselling that at all. It was definitely a feel spot moment. That's kind of what I was saying. They should have done that initially when they kind of formed the club, and then they could have run it all the way through. They didn't need the breaks. And even when that happened, and I actually got, I think I got my history mixed up a little bit in terms of when the club split up and when the draft was. Um, it was after this. But, you know, then they, they're hot, they're rolling. They did the, we want to beat up John Cena whole thing. That was great. And then it just kind of disappeared. And it was, I mean, the Cena-Styles feud continued. That was fantastic. And, you know, you're talking about match of the year, possibly for 
for this past year. Um, you're talking about maybe John Cena's best match of his career to this point. Uh, in one of those matches, the Royal Rumble match, I'm sp- speaking of specifically. But yeah, I mean, it was a feud that will not, it may have been overlooked at the time as, as just, hey, these are two big names they're putting together. But when you go back and look at this decade in WWE, you're going to remember that moment. And Absolutely. you're going to remember that feud. So in June at Money in the Bank, you have your first style Cena match. It doesn't get talked about a lot. Pretty good match. They were certainly putting the brakes on to set the table, right? Styles won with help from the club. It further solidified that he is a heel. They have the clunky sort of multi-person match at Battleground in late July, right? They bring Enzo and Big Cass on Cena's side. You see the full club on the other side. It moved the chains, right? It it wasn't memorable. But like you mentioned, the draft on July 19th split things up. In a good way. Then suddenly it's just Styles versus Cena. Styles was allowed to be a heel, but a really a lovable heel, right? Like he's right. trash talking, but it never, it's almost like they put a certain level of the brakes on him. You can be a heel because you're cocky, but you're not going to be despicable as a heel. The worst thing you'll say is I'm here to beat up John Cena. Uh, is that calculated on their on their end because they still want to send, they still want to sell so much merch and wristbands and all that stuff and gloves? Yeah, I don't think you want to turn him into a despicable heel per se. And, it also goes to speak to Styles. Like I don't want to rehash what you just said, but he was face heel face, like heel face almost, like in 18 months. Like he's made so many turns, and it hasn't hurt him. There's only so few guys that you can be that back and forth with, and it doesn't hurt them. They've done the same thing with guys like Dolph Ziggler, where it just kills them. Like any momentum that Dolph Ziggler has as a heel, all of a sudden they need a tag team guy for a face. He says something nice on SmackDown, and now he's a face again. With AJ Styles, they at least committed to it every single time, and that's kind of going back to what I said at the beginning, why I didn't like how wishy-washy it was at the beginning. But in this particular role against John Cena, he had to be a heel, and he couldn't be completely despicable. Just like now, Roman Re- in my opinion, Roman Reigns is the heel side in the Cena-Reigns feud, but he's not a despicable heel. He's just someone who is more bad than the other guy. Well, Adam, the build towards SummerSlam in 2016 featured a lot of promo battles like we're seeing now. If we're going to be really honest, AJ's certainly an A++ performer. He's the top of the line. He, I think he's the best performer in the world. If he's, I mean, in the company, if he's not the world, then it's certainly Kenny Omega. You know, I know you can argue one or two other New Japan guys, depending on your preference. How did you think, though, that AJ held his own opposite scene on the microphone during this time when it was obvious, like, it's not his best part. He's not, gonna, he's not the rock, but he's certainly not deficient in that category. Where'd you fit in on that? I, f- I find it interesting with guys, with a lot of wrestlers, and, and AJ is one of them, they're much stronger at promos when they're a heel than when they're a face. True. AJ is a face promos, like his first six, eight months in the company, whatever it was. I was like, eh, this guy really shouldn't talk that much. Like, he was nice, and he has that nice southern drawl, and he'll, he'll, he'll call himself a redneck, and, you know, he says that. But it, it's not really like, it doesn't put me over. Oh, I love this guy. You know, there's no baby face, you know, ness to his face promos. His heel promos work. And when you have John Cena playing off of you and giving you lobs to kind of slam him down, it works. And I think that established AJ and maybe gave AJ more confidence because he had never, even in New Japan and in Ring of Honor and TNA, he'd done promos probably his entire career, definitely, of course. But he never did them where they actually mattered to the type of audience that they did in WWE, where they get scrutinized, where every single word you say matters and the crowd hangs on it. And I think that gave him the confidence, that feud with Cena, to where now, as a face, he's just as good as anyone else doing promos. Absolutely. I, th- I thought AJ really stood up tall to Cena here. I mean, he wasn't, he didn't go too elaborate, but he stuck to his guns. His delivery was always clean, and, and it really worked. And obviously, when they finally connected 
in a long, full-on major pay-per-view match like they did in Brooklyn at SummerSlam. I was lucky enough to be in the building. Adam, I thought that was a five-star match. I thought it was the first five-star match I had ever seen in person. I also think outside of maybe this year's SummerSlam main event, the Fatal 4-Way Car Wreck that was amazing, this might be the best match I've ever seen in person. I liked it better than the Royal Rumble one they had later in January. It was because of this. The next level moves that they showed. When I when five minutes into the match, AJ kicked out of the AA, and then later Cena kicked out of the Styles, or maybe not the Styles, maybe it was an early setup finisher from Styles. It was like, wow, they're going to kick out of each other's finisher this early. Then it was like, this was the first time I'd seen where they just traded super, you know, superplex. Then Cena does that AA off the top rope. Then it was sort of like everything was next level. I'm going to suplex you, but I'm going to invert it this way. And it just kept evolving and evolving and evolving. You end up with AJ going over, and that crowd popped massive. And then there was that little extra wrinkle of Cena putting the sweatband down, which led you to believe, is he done? Is he going to Hollywood for good? Do you think that sweatband moment had the impact they intended or did they or did they flesh it out enough what do you think you know they didn't going into the match they didn't really kind of play that up too much um it's not an embarrassment to lose to aj styles like it's not he's cena's not old enough where he would retire um and putting the sweatband down which let's put let's be honest the sweatband is not the undertaker's hat or you know (laughs) jacket or anything It's, it's a stupid sweatband multicolored it's changed colors a million times and he wears seven of them so leaving one in the ring like all right, John. So you're just not that sweaty anymore. Um, it doesn't have this. It didn't have the same impact on me. But it, what it did tell you is, he respects this guy. What this guy did, he bested him. AJ Styles bested John Cena, and John Cena said, "You know what? Yeah, uh, I'm going to take a break because I don't really know what I can do at this point." So that's what it meant to me. I don't think it had the impact they wanted, but it definitely delivered the message they wanted. And there was this moment at the end of that match where Styles kicked out of like the final, where I think Cena hit back-to-back AA. Styles kicks out, and Cena retreats to the corner, and they zoom in on his face, and he has that incredulous look like, how do I beat this guy? It ended up sending Cena into Hollywood. I think he did season two of that Fox show that he does, that, that reality-based show. It, it gave some separation. It was an incredible match. It just was, it was flawless in the execution. That's the best way I can really describe what I loved about it. But now... Cena, I'm sorry, Styles is ready to wear that belt, Adam. And that's when we enter the feud. Now he's on SmackDown full-time. We enter the feud with Dean Ambrose. We can say what we want about Dean, and we very much have, Adam. This might be my favorite Dean Ambrose feud overall. But that doesn't mean it's because of Dean Ambrose. There was a gentleman who took as much part in this feud as Ambrose did, and his name is James Ellsworth. Your thoughts, this feud as a whole, considering... The Ellsworth factor was gratuitous, but somehow it really worked. So I didn't like Ellsworth then. And uh, as a person, like he seems like he really he's really thankful to be in the position he is. Seems like he's a nice guy. And talking about in terms of the character here, I didn't like the character then. I don't really like it now. It's just extra and it's comedy and it's gratuitous. And for me, it doesn't really work. But AJ Styles, like James Ellsworth should be cutting this guy a check (laughs) because AJ Styles gave this guy a career like it's one thing to do the job for Jericho or to do it for a young guy who's coming into the company like Jericho did for Fandango. I mentioned earlier where, you know, they're going to push this guy. They want him to be IC champion. He did a job for a guy, not once, not twice. I believe it was three times who really had no business being there whatsoever. Was it funny? Sure. Um, I think James Ellsworth hurt Dean Ambrose. Didn't treat him serious enough as a competitor. 
uh, didn't it, it kind of ruined his like whole mystique of being a crazy guy. He was just a guy who saw this funny dude and was willing to to deal with him because it was against the norm. Like I don't like that. I wanted Ambrose to be kind of off kilter. They they the way they described him and the way they pushed him, insane asylum and all that stuff. Well, be that character. Don't yeah, that's some... when they softened the yeah. lunatic idea, right? They started to maybe say, maybe making fun of mental illness isn't the best thing for a baby face. Yeah, lunatic fringe. I mean, I was okay with it, but they, like you said, they softened it. I thought Ellsworth was a detriment to Dean Ambrose, um, and I think Styles just put him over so well that, I mean, he should be thanking him every day because, God, I, he wouldn't be in WWE right now if it wasn't for AJ Styles. Well, AJ had won the belt from Ambrose in September. By the way, it was a low blow. He's still a heel at this time. A low blow into a Styles Clash wins him the belt. We don't end up, or sorry, no mercy main event. They bring back Cena, right, for a triple threat. A lot of people forget AJ comes out with the belt. It's right after that, two nights later on SmackDown, that Ellsworth's insertion is there. And this is now where it's time to say this. The one takeaway overall, why AJ Styles 2016 was so great. It was that every single match he threatened to, to, to put out four to four and a half stars, and it didn't matter with whom. And you mentioned three times they let Ellsworth go over, but those matches were somehow really good. I don't know if you remember when he did the Styles Clash on Ellsworth on the ring steps, and Ellsworth did not tuck his head like he should have, and it could have ended his career in life, and AJ saved him. Well, he did a lot of saving overall in the matches with him, and he made them really fun. They made the Ellsworth insertion work and you can argue that it was an insult to Ambrose that it pushed him to side I think it just showcased how good AJ is and how good he can make it all work and it came together Adam with a match that was talked about a lot in our red carpet special podcast anybody that missed that go back and listen to what AJ Styles and Dean Ambrose had to say about this because the famous moment at TLC in the main event for the championship TLC match in December where AJ gets the hole in the arse on it when his trunks rip on the chair. Almost a disaster, but Adam, what they put forth, four and a half star match at worst, a, a true match of the year contender that maybe didn't get the love it deserved, and this match featured what I consider to be the best spot in wrestling of 2016. AJ springboard 450 through Ambrose on the table outside, where AJ perfectly came over on the full turn but almost hit his head it was almost disastrous yet his technique was so flawless that he hit it perfectly holy crap this match match was incredible uh why was it 4.5 and not five stars how did it end it, well it ended with Ellsworth's involvement which i didn't hate by any means i didn't well, hate that but that did hold it back from being a you know call your friends watch this match right now yeah i mean i'm not trying to poo poo it just you know but you're being honest like it's, a five, it's possibly a five-star hardcore match because, you know, hardcore matches, you may grade a little bit different than just pure in-ring, you know, work. Um, but it was incredible. That move was fantastic. And, yeah, I wanted to see that end in a clean finish. I, In terms of Ellsworth and, like, everything he's done, that was, to be fair, that was the best moment. Like, yes. him turning, and you kind of knew it might happen, but him turning and then explaining he turned because then he gets a title shot against AJ. He deserves it because he's beaten him three times and he has the contract now because he's on SmackDown. Like, okay, at least it made sense. But to end a feud like that and, and to, to do it that way, you know, it's just a sour note for me. Let me put it that way. Uh, before that match, just to just to complete the timeline, at Survivor Series, AJ did take part in that Raw versus SmackDown main event, which Adam, again, doesn't get the love it deserves. That was a worthy match of the year contender. And you talk about our pay-per-view rewind segment. Maybe a, two years from now, we want to dial back this one. Do you remember how insanely amazing that was booked? It was like booked like a Royal Rumble inside of a five-on-five -five elimination match. 
It was really good. And a lot of those matches we actually complain about on here because it's just like forcing guys, you know, into matches. Like, I understand that was a separate situation, of course. For, there's a reason that they actually did that. Um, we but, had the Shield reunion in that, right? The, the triple powerbomb? Yeah, exactly. And, like, it made sense and it worked and it was great. And it's a rare occasion where it worked. Like, for me, I usually don't like those matches. But for it to be that good, for it to have styles, for it to have those guys in there, I mean, it just, it really hit on all, all cylinders. And what you can say is his matches at this time the end of 2016, the summer into fall, and we'll keep going through it. Um, this is where he really, I mean, he's been great throughout his entire tenure, but the way that they booked these things kind of made him, made him, like solidified him in WWE. Absolutely. Now to wrap up, what we're doing is breaking down that incredible first year for him. Cena's back in the picture. They build toward the Royal Rumble. It ends up being the end of Styles WWE Championship reign, which lasted 140 days. And at the Rumble in San Antonio, I was lucky to be there. Adam, they produced a hell of a match. Most people think that this is 4.75 to 5 stars. Most people think it's the best match they produce in their rivalry. Like I mentioned, I prefer SummerSlam more. Where do you sit? What do you remember about this Rumble match between these two? Yeah, I think I mentioned a little bit earlier, that was my match, the, the best match of their series. And I think when you go into, you know, look at the year in review and, uh, you know, what's the best match they've done, I think it's going to be, or not they've done, but WWE has done, I think it's up there. I mean, you have the NXT match with Tyler Bate, um, you have some of these other ones that they've done recently, but Styles Cena, like, it just keeps coming back to you because it's two huge stars performing so well at such a large stage in a match that people were, I don't want to say they were over it because that's not the case, but sometimes things with Cena can get a little tired. Like, okay, I've seen Styles fight Cena so many times. What about, like, Seth Rollins or what about someone else that was on SmackDown that, you know, we'd really like to see? Um, so it wasn't tired per se, but it was like, oh, we already saw this. And for them to not just rehash their SummerSlam match, but best it. That was really impressive. And now, did you think they bested it? Because my, my only, and look, we're, we're picking nits. This is so close. Yeah. But my only issue is I felt like it kind of was a rehash of the SummerSlam match. I think the ending was just like you knew the way the SummerSlam match ended. So with that in your mind, how are they going to best that? And I think the way they finished it, they did. I just thought it was more complete. I thought the, the SummerSlam match, you, ex you know, once you saw one year fall, you said, okay, I'm going to get a couple more. And, and you kind of knew that it would eventually end like that. In the Royal Rumble, you already knew you were going to get 17 near falls. And they gave you 25. You know what I mean? Like, they just took it to that one more step. And for me, uh, that, along with just the match itself leading into it, I thought it was better storytelling and just better overall. And that match in front of 52,000 people at the Alamo Dome. And also it was Cena tying Ric Flair's record for 16 championships. So there was some sort of extra added things around that. Adam, that wraps up the incredible debut year of AJ Styles, which is why we're here, which is what we'll talk to Nick and I will ask AJ about in a second. I want to, though, put this into context. So it's different than other people's rookie years because, like I mentioned, AJ comes to WWE as a finished product. But he's not the only person that that's happened to before. I did a little research on what is generally considered the best rookie years in WWE history. The only non-WWE one I'll throw out there is just this. When Ricky Steamboat left WWF in 88, goes to WCW in 89, and then does three straight pay-per-view five-star matches with uh, with Ric Flair and then gives Lex Luger his best match ever and the next one after that. That's got to be at least in consideration for the impact of your first year. He's on top of WCW at really a high spot in the 80s for them. But if we're just talking WWE, here's my contenders 
who's in this conversation. Flair's 1992, which is most comparable to AJ's, meaning that he comes to WWF as certainly a finished product, as the best wrestler in the world, arguably wins the Royal Rumble, wins the championship, has a great feud with Savage. That's a big year. Yokozuna in 93 was one I forgot about. Comes to the title so quickly, wins the Rumble, right? And then just dominates, wins at Mania. Kurt Angle's 99 is a lot of people's gold standard because of how quickly he showed you went from novice to to really being ready and really being intense in there. Lesnar's 2002 certainly arrived on the scene. And you could argue the Shields 2012, although a team is in this ballpark. Personally, I think AJ's is the best debut rookie year we have ever seen. And it just comes down to the combination of the four to four and a half star matches every single night mixed with of course great on the microphone great in the ring fans were ready to love this guy had such pure baby face potential but could really do everything right could give you the high flying could could do great storytelling but when you break it down the other guys on this list we're not giving you the same four and a half matches against anyone every single night there's not a lot of guys even the guys you mentioned there's not a lot of guys that enter as a main eventer he entered as a main eventer he you knew he was important because of what they did at the Rumble. You knew he was important because Chris Jericho was his first feud. You knew he was important because Jericho then decided to team with him. And Chris Jericho is not teaming with someone who's not a major player. And then they made him, you know, he was immediately in the, he didn't, he wasn't in the IC title picture. He wasn't in the U.S. title picture. He went tag team title picture, eh, Jericho turned on him, world title picture. I mean, obviously yes. I'm cutting corners here. But that's how you know a guy like that is capable, important, and great. I think the only name you missed and... I don't say it in terms of year, like he won a ton of titles and he did this, but Chris Jericho's debut and his debut year was huge. That's I mean, a great point. WWE fans wanted badly Chris Jericho, and they heard he was going to be on the t- on the show, and there was so much hype, and they did the vignettes. You know, AJ basically entered blank, blank. It was a blank slate. With with Chris Jericho coming in, you had the vignettes, and you kind of had a feeling something important was going to happen, and they had you decode it, and you knew it was Chris Jericho. I mean, if you were a smart and... You read newsletters and all that type of stuff. But you still didn't know. Maybe it wasn't him. Maybe it was a swerve. And then he comes out against The Rock and has that huge moment. So Jericho, for me, is – I'm not saying he was better than all the other guys you mentioned first year. But in my mind, when you say rookie year, like, that's what I think of. And AJ not didn't eclipse it. He blew that out of the water with his year one. And although I did mention the Steamboat WCW, if we're also talking WCW, you're going to have to obviously throw in Goldberg, right? Probably 97 was his debut year. Hall and Nash and Hollywood Hogan. Well, no, sorry. They'll take that back. Hall and Nash in 96 for sure. Hogan had already been in the company, turned heel, turned his life around, turned his character around, the greatest second act ever. Well, hey, AJ Styles, you might have had the greatest first act first year in WWE. Now we want to hear about it. Let's hear from the phenomenal one himself. On January 10th, the good folks at Boom Studios are set to release their WWE Royal Rumble 2018 special comic series. And part of this, the cool reveal here, is that AJ Styles will make his comics writing debut by co-authoring a story called The Debut of AJ Styles. Now look, AJ, to me, I'm not a big comic book guy in general, but this stuff Boom Studios has put out has been incredible. Going back to last year, the Seth Rollins and the Shield series, what attracted you to take such a hands-on role in this project? Well, I mean, it was offered to me, and why not? Why not take the opportunity to uh, do something like like this and, and, and something special that's happened in my career with the 2016 Royal Rumble? I think it was just a, a great opportunity. 
it has been well documented your passion for video games. How much interest or connection do you have going back to comics? Well, I'm going to be honest. Uh, the only connection I have with comics is now the movies introducing uh, me to these uh, different comics, and in now even video games. You know, Injustice is a you know they have so many characters I, that I don't even know who they are. Um, so I don't have a lot of history in comic books, but uh, you know. I mean, without these comic books, we wouldn't have all these great movies and, and video games. Uh, absolutely. What can you tell us about this specific story, the debut of AJ Styles, and what fans can sort of expect from this? Well, I think you can uh, get kind of what I went through uh, throughout that day and how it how it took place and my reaction and, and how I felt. Um, it's It was pretty unbelievable that day. I mean, not many people have a debut like I had in the WWE, so... Uh, we're just going to take them down that road, and, uh, it's, and it's an emotional, uh, very cool, exciting road. What can you tell us about that day? I think there's some real sort of inside baseball cool elements to this story. What is that literally like for you, 2016 Royal Rumble, end of your looking like you know the end of your 30s, yet you're finally making this large debut in WWE as a full-timer, as a big splash. What is that like the hours before? Uh, 2016 Royal Rumble, uh, where I made my debut. Flew into Tampa so that no one would, no one would know that I uh, was coming to the Royal Rumble, which uh, I thought was pretty cool. And then driving up in a car that WWE had got for me, and 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 as soon as getting there, going right into a trailer where nobody could see me. Uh, like I didn't know that that it was going to be that big of a deal, you know, me coming out. Um, I didn't really know what to expect, and and it finally get to where they're like, hey, listen, we're just going to have to go into the meeting, the Royal Rumble meeting, because, well, you have to be in there. And it was a, a, a strange moment going into uh, this this match and not knowing some of the guys that were in it. But thank God there were some that I did know, and they were, you know, it was just good to see some familiar faces in a, in a place where I'd never been here, you know, been there before. And, like, the WWE, it, was, it wasn't my home yet. And to go into someone else's home, it's uh, it's intimidating after all the time and, and years that I spent in the, it spent in the business um, to go to the WWE was just this monster of uh, you know entertainment uh, as the new guy it was it was very strange very exciting uh, it was great AJ I feel like we could literally spend 25 30 minutes just talking about how cool a moment that was for you and like your life sort of leading up to that at the Royal Rumble but for me here as a lifelong fan and, and I love professional wrestling. I love everything that goes into making a great match. And you're obviously one of the best performers, not just in WWE, but in the whole world. And the Royal Rumble to me has always been one of those things where like, I wonder how the hell they're able to do it to this degree of accuracy and get it so right because it's it's an hour-long choreographed deal that's just absolutely unbelievable. Like, it actually hurts my brain to think about. Can you peel back the curtain just a little bit for us fans as to what goes in to the Royal Rumble? Like, you go in there and they're like, okay, okay, you come in at this time and you're going to do this and this. Like, how does that sort of work as it concerns specifically the Royal Rumble itself? Well, you got to know I've only been in one, <laughs> and that was my debut. So uh, to think back and, and what all went on and who's supposed to eliminate who and when this is supposed to happen, you know, there are a lot of it that's just ad-libbed. You know, you know, got a, a bunch of professionals out there in that ring who, knew how, who know how to do this. So um, – it was, it was just one of those things. Like I, I hadn't been in a WWE ring in years, so I didn't know what I could do in there as far as the ropes are concerned. I remember 
being in the Royal Rumble and Chris Jericho go, just said, hey, man, do that springboard for him. And I'd yet to touch the ropes. So I didn't know if I was going to even be able to do it. But, uh, you know, Dr. Water, you know, it was uh, – you know, I was able to pull it off and, and all the things that uh, needed to happen happened as they did. And there's a lot more that go into a Royal Rumble than anybody ever knows. You know, I think the theme song is such an important element, right? In, in a wrestler, when a wrestler first debuts and we criticize, sometimes we don't like the theme music for certain wrestlers. Sometimes we love it. I don't think there's any doubt that WWE knocked it out of the park with your theme music. When was the first time you heard it? And when you heard it for the first time, were you like, okay, we got something here. This is going to be big. Well, I heard it about maybe a couple days, a week before I made my debut, because I literally didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, if I were, if I were, going to the Royal Rumble or not. So it was, it was really close on how everything happened. So um, I didn't know what to think of it, to be honest with you. Um, I liked it, but at the same time, I was like, well, well the WWE Universe, love it. Um, and, I mean, it's so hard to – because you, you're seeing it from a different view than everyone else because you think it's, it's talking about you and you specifically, and you're like – uh, is it a bad thing they're calling me a redneck? I don't mind being a redneck. I am a redneck. Is that a bad thing? Do, can people relate to a redneck? You know, all this stuff uh, that came out. But, uh, yeah, man, it uh, it fit me like a glove. There's no doubt about that. AJ, with your schedule being so crazy, the, the fast-moving life on the road, I don't imagine you get a lot of time to pause and reflect, which I think you telling this story, right, the debut of AJ Styles, kind of gives you uh, an odd chance to do that. So when you look back at that Royal Rumble moment in the year that it started, there's people that say, I'm one of them, that your debut year with the WWE, probably the best debut year we've ever seen with a wrestler in any promotion. I'm talking about Kurt Angle's 2000, right? Ric Flair's 1992 with the then WWF. Even Ricky Steamboat in WCW in 89, if you're just talking match quality, across the board altogether, that might be the best year I've ever seen in terms of going from maybe somebody not everybody knew to making a major impact. Do you have time to sit on a plane and bus and have those same thoughts of exactly how incredible that 2016 was for you? Well, well, I, I have to admit that after the Royal Rumble was over and a couple months went by, there were some videos that popped up on YouTube. I'm a big YouTube guy. I get it on all the time. And it had reactions to AJ Styles debut and watching that and watching the reactions it was so cool like for me I get to I can relive my debut through all the fans reactions you know and uh it was just I, I I can't put it into words how awesome it was to not only walk down that aisle to the WWE ring but then to watch it back through other people's eyes on YouTube amazing AJ, as, as as Brian said, just an incredible, incredible debut year for you. And I think that we can agree, or I know Brian and I agree on this because we've talked about it before. Your match with John Cena um, at the Royal Rumble was absolutely sensational. Maybe one of the best matches I have ever seen. And I think it's interesting when you talk about sort of watching back on YouTube, like your debut through the eyes of fans. Do you ever watch some of your own matches back on YouTube and be like from that fan experience here, whether it's that match against Cena, some other great matches you've had in WWE? What's, what's your process with that, going back and watching some of your older classic matches? Do you ever do that? Very few. Uh, the reason why I don't watch my matches back is because I will analyze it and, and go over it and, there's, and reflect on what I could have done better. And 
So I just tear it down, and it's. <laughs> I just re- want to remember it as it was when I did it in the ring, and and you know the way the fans reacted to it. They it, it, sometimes I'll watch it back, and I just destroy myself because I want perfection, you know. Um, but uh, you know, John Cena and I, despite being two different uh, professionals um, in every way, just knocking out of the park, you know. If uh, opposites attract uh, certainly john and i do that in the ring and, and make magic i thought there was an underrated feud when we talk about this first year this debut 2016 for you that roman reigns program you had look just two pay-per-view matches payback and extreme rules i thought it was some of your best stuff you've done in wwe i thought it didn't get the recognition it deserved for let's say match of the year consideration feud of the year consideration I thought that was almost a turning point in Roman's career where he worked with you in that series. After that, I haven't seen him have a bad match, maybe a bad feud, maybe a bad moment, right? What was it like for you and how important was that feud for you in Roman rising to the level where he was at a star at that time, you being new to the company and the magic you guys made in those matches? Uh, you know, and, and that's another, you know, I look back at stepping stones and that was one of them, wrestling uh, Roman because he was definitely... Uh, a big name here in WWE still is. Uh, and I almost wanted to show like, okay, we're going to have a great match, but little did I know how great Roman was uh, a lot better than most people think. I, I mean, he was outstanding. Um, we had, a, I don't, I mean, I, I don't, he's a lot more athletic than people ever knew. And so for me, it was just a great experience getting in the ring with him and, and doing so many great things and happen. And like you said, it to me, it was a great feud. Do you feel that chemistry right away? I mean, when when you lock up with Roman that first time, do you go, oh, we're going to have some fun here? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what it was. And leading up to that, because it, it wasn't just a match. It was it was leading up that with the Usos and the club and all the stuff that took place. It was a great story, and people were really into it. And that's what it's all about, you know, um, despite what people think. It, you know, they, they want to boo this guy for some reason, but, it, you know, there were times we were like, they were cheering. And I feel like we're doing we're doing what needs to be done. If, if we can take people's focus off uh, how they feel about a match because they may not uh, appreciate the guy when he needs to be appreciated. Um, he just like he's on another level. And I was uh, I was glad to be in the ring with him to show everybody that that he is on another level, that and this guy can hang with AJ Styles. And look, the stuff that you've done with Kevin Owens recently on the blue brand culminating at SummerSlam was absolutely sensational as well. And you've obviously had a great run with the U.S. Championship. Do you get a chance, though, you and the other guys on SmackDown to sort of check out what's going on on the other show on Monday, Monday Night Raw? And you and you referenced, right, getting that reaction from the crowd. We led our show last week in this corner with that John Cena, Roman Reigns promo from last Monday night. They have the face-off again this past Monday. Did you get a chance to watch that? And if so, what did you think? Because we were really sort of blown away. And like, I felt like a seven-year-old again, like on my couch watching that, barking out like crazy. There's one thing that John Cena does better than anybody. And he will make you care about that match before anybody steps foot in the ring. That's what it's all about. If there's one thing that I've learned, that's what you got to do. That's what I learned from John Cena is tell that story before you ever step into the ring and then capitalize on the athletic ability of both guys in it. And now you've got a classic. I felt that's, that's what John and I did. And I felt that, 
you know, he, John Cena and Roman, I mean, it was personal. And that's what you got to have. You've got to, you got to peel back a layer and really get into people's head going, holy crap. Whoa, this is great. That's the reaction you want before they ever step into the ring. You know, when, when people talk about five-star matches, in my opinion, the only way you can have these five-star matches, as, as goofy as they are, they even give ratings to wrestling, you've got to tell the story first, and then you can deliver in the ring. I'll tell you what, they have told the story Cena and Roman Reigns have. I can't wait for No Mercy. Uh, that's going to be pretty great. But the thing that sort of we go back with here, and I think many fans do with Roman, like I don't think it's an insult to say or fake to say or false to say that Roman and John on the microphone, maybe not the same thing. Do you feel like, because that's what everyone says, like because Roman gets out there and, and Cena's doing his thing and Roman's maybe not at that level. I personally don't know that Roman sort of needs to do that. I think like on his own, he's pretty good enough and it seems seems like you agree with me based on the answer that you gave about Roman here. I just feel like Roman a lot of time gets a bad rap from people and sort of undeservedly and wonder if you agree or disagree with that. Uh, I totally agree with that. He definitely gets a bad rap. The guy is uh, an athlete, a big dude, good looking guy. Like sometimes it, I was like, man, are, are people just jealous of this guy? Cause I, I certainly am, you know, um, he's just, you know, he gets a bad rap just like you said. And I think that, He's a, a, a great asset uh, to the WWE. I mean, I'm glad that he's on our team. You know, I, I'm, I'm glad that he's here because, you know, when, you know, if he does well, everybody does well because he's on that that upper threshold of, of superstars here in the WWE. He may be one of the, the bigger WWE stars here. And he brings people to the show. That's just a fact. People come to see Roman Reigns as they do. Come to see John Cena. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, Roman Reigns is a big part of the WWE AJ, and gets a bad rap. Absolutely. AJ, when we go back to the idea of you sort of making this debut with WWE in 2016, a lot of people, of course, know who you were in your great career before that. There, the, there's something about a hardcore fan sometimes. They have a fear. If their favorite wrestler from another organization someday makes it to WWE, like let's say right now a Kenny Omega situation, they have the fear that that performer will lose part of their character as part of the transaction, right, to fit into the system. I always counter that notion by saying, Watch AJ Styles in, let's say, Japan and watch him now. Pretty close, right? So what percentage of the AJ Styles character of the past do you think you are putting forth out there on WWE television today? I think uh, whatever percentage was the best. Uh, I've learned so much in my career. Uh, I know what works and what doesn't. Uh, I think that's why I did well in Japan. I kind of figured it out um, almost to completion. You know, I still learn things here, obviously, but my style didn't change. My attitude didn't change. Everything pretty much stayed the same. And certain things will. There, there's no question. Uh, someone may see something until the, you show them this is who you are. You know, that things change, and you got to be able to roll with the punches, man. That's just the way it is. Uh, it is different in the WWE. It's, it's you know, it's, it's huge. So you have to work with what they want. And everybody, I think if you're a professional, then you're going to be able to do that regardless uh, of, you know, having not be able to do that move or this move because the rules have changed a little bit. You know, um, in Japan, I was able to get a lot, uh, get away with a lot more. Here, you're not. We have, There's a lot more rules that you have to abide by. So, but I, I think the cream will always rise to the top. 
Fair enough. Look, we talked to Finn Balor on this podcast a few weeks ago, and we brought up the glory days uh, of the Bullet Club to him, but he had an interesting response. He said for as much as he looks back fondly at those days, he said, that was my past and this is my present and my future is in WWE. It sort of woke me up to the idea that it's like we all love these rock bands who have these you know albums from many years ago that are our favorites, but they don't always want to play those same songs at every concert. How much can you identify with what Finn is saying there where everybody is going to show up with Bullet Club t-shirts, but he's like, hey, I'm doing something different these days. Take notice of this instead. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I get it, man. It's like, hey, uh, but I've got these other shirts for sale over here that's <laughs> from WWE. Yeah, that that is in our past, and uh, uh, it was a again, it was stepping stones to get to here in the WWE, and that's okay. But that's in our past, and and though we'll never forget it, we're working on the present. That's this is where we are right now, and this is what we're trying to build right now. Um, I get it. I totally agree with Finn on that one. Um, the PWI Top 500, the yearly institution, was probably bigger in the days before the internet. I remember I used to wait to read it uh, every year. In 2010, you came in at number one. This year, you come in at number two. Now, I know you said like the whole idea of like rating matches and wrestling is ridiculous, and I give you credit for saying that, especially since you're one of the highest rated wrestlers as one of the best wrestlers, so I think that's pretty interesting, very humble on your part, and I appreciate that. Do you put any stock in that sort of thing at all for like a publication like that to come out and say, AJ Styles, number two in the world for this year. That do anything for you? I think, it, I think it's an honor to be able, you know, for people to see you in that light. But there are guys that are really, really great. Uh, so, it, it, but there aren't noticed on a higher level because they didn't hold a championship. You know, that's not how it works. Um, some of the best in the world don't have a championship or didn't have a championship in 2016 or, or won't have one in 2017, but deserve to be considered some of the best in the world. But they, they don't get that recognition because, well, it's based on stories and, and everything else that goes on in uh, pro wrestling, you know? So it don't get me wrong. It's an honor to be able to be thought of in that respect. But at the, at the end of the day, the guys in the back here and, and elsewhere know what it's about really. And uh, I think you know, for me, number two is great. Number one's awesome, but being respected by my peers is uh, uh, means a lot more than anything else. AJ, what's the biggest thing that you have learned as a performer, either in the ring, outside of the ring, on the microphone, what have you, since you joined WWE? The number one lesson you have learned that you've applied to make yourself a better performer. I think the number one lesson I've learned is just that what we talked about earlier is that the story is what makes the match. We are telling a story, and as long as we can tell a great one and and peel back the curtain a little bit, make people believe something may be going on a little bit more than and, than what you see. Uh, you know, some things are said that you know, like whoa, that was that a cheap shot? You know, to get them to that level is the most important thing. Like I said before, if you can make people care about a match before you step foot in the ring, I mean, it's going to be easy from there on out. And and I learned that from John Cena. He, the reason why people feel like they, you know, or at least fans feel like guys get buried is because John Cena will take you to another level. He will push you to another level. And now it's your job to maintain that when you're done with John Cena. That's the one thing I've learned is how can I make people care about 
the story that I'm in, so they'll care about the match later. AJ, as we record this, the legendary Ric Flair, of course, continues to battle back almost miraculously from the health issues that nearly took his life. In true Flair fashion, he cut one hell of a promo on social media the other day about how he defeated death. You've gone up and down with the road, on the road with him, shared rings with him in TNA in the past. Can you tell us not a good, but a great Ric Flair story that sums up the legend himself? Well, there's a lot of great stories about Rick, and uh, it would be hard to nail down one. Uh, but I can tell you that uh, I have grown to, to love this man. Like, he's just uh, everything to what we've done in this business. I mean, without Ric Flair, who knows where it would be right now. So, I mean, everybody's thankful, you know, that uh, Rick's getting back on his feet and getting better because, oh, man, it would be hard to think about, you know, this business without him. So, um, I'm just happy that he, he's uh, recovering fast, it looks like, and, and ready to rock, and I can't wait to see him. Absolutely. And a co-host on my MMA pod on this show is King Mo, Muhammad Lawal, the Bellator MMA fighter. He did a little time in pro wrestling back in the day, has a lot of respect for you, but he wants to set the record straight, AJ. He says, you didn't just borrow, you stole the calf slicer, calf crusher submission from him. You're going to give any credence to what my man King Mo is saying? Yeah. Uh, first of all, how can you steal something if you never saw it? So uh, I don't know. I don't know about the stealing. And if I were to steal a calf slicer, wouldn't that be from like one of the Gracies or something? Come on, Mo. <laughs> come on, man. You got you got to come on, man, from me. I like the come on, man. AJ, as a video game player myself, love hearing that you're really into it and have been into it your entire life. What is AJ Styles' all-time favorite video game, and why? Now, it's a nostalgia kind of thing. It's like uh, my dad got the last game in the department store um, long before they were Walmart was huge like it is now and before GameStop. You know, it was it was hard to find these games sometimes, and my dad uh, got the last one in the store. So Super Mario Brothers 2 um, was a big deal to me, and it may not have been the, the Super Mario Brothers that everybody expected to be the second one, but – to me, it was great. It, it was uh, it was a great game, and um, and I love it. And it'll always always be one of my favorites, just because my dad was able to get me one. Uh, but there's so many great games out there um, right now. I mean, I don't know if you guys had a chance to play Madden, but the storyline that they've done cool, with this right? is it's pretty cool, right? I got it last week. It's great. Yeah, it's so much fun, and they they did. I hope they do another one. I hope they do one every year like this but even make it longer because it was so well done uh there's nothing better than playing a movie you know you're literally playing this movie out uh there are very few games that you're able to enjoy a game because of the movie that it that it turns into like a uncharted you know series those those are one of those kind of deals so i was very happy and pleased with the the new madden this year and uh and you know I just love video games, man. There's, I, I can't wait to, you know, I'm a retro collector, so anything old I, I find and I collect, and uh, that's kind of one of my things. Uh, it's just uh, video gaming is just part of my life. Well, AJ Styles, we look forward to seeing you perform in the ring again, seeing and getting our hands on January 10th from Boom Studios, the WWE Royal Rumble 2018 special comic series, the story you co-wrote, the debut of AJ Styles. Thanks so much for joining us on the In This Corner podcast and reliving the great debut, the 2016 you put forth on WWE. Thanks, guys.
Many thanks to AJ Styles, WWE, and Boom Studios. Adam, great to have that length of time to pick his brain, to hear him talk about, right, getting in that car in Tampa, flying into Tampa on the day of the 2016 Rumble, not into Orlando, so nobody knew, you know, being shoveled in backstage, being, you know, I'm sure that he was, uh, you know, they threw him in one of those trailers. You love sort of that minutia. And then that little story about Jericho talking to him during the Rumble. Yeah, um, to have that be your debut in WWE, like, that's special. You know what I mean? It, it's it, it, For them to take the time and the, you know, we don't want to give it away. We were kind of previewing it and, and you know, how special it was and how what kind of plans they had for him entering the Rumble. But for them to fly you into Tampa, and someone who lives in Florida, I'm not saying Tampa and Orlando are far. They're not really that far. But you're driving a couple hours to get to Orlando, and they're making the effort to hide you. Um, probably entered the ring and like or in, entered the uh, arena in like a hoodie, um, and they're, they're taking every precaution not to ruin the surprise. They're not doing that again. I'm sorry, man, with Mike Canellis. Like, <laughs> I, I'm just—he's the most recent guy. They're not doing that with some of these other guys, but they're doing that with AJ Styles because of how much it meant. And Chris Jericho is talking to him the way he did because of how important he is to the company. Yeah, I mean, Jericho is always that guy in the Rumble who's going to be in there for a half hour. We saw in this past year's Rumble, he's like outside the ring for more of it than he is inside. He's almost acting like a ref, telling people spots while he tells AJ to do that springboard spot. And what AJ didn't fully articulate there is that WWE is the only wrestling promotion in the world, he says, that uses real ropes, right? Wrapped, but they're real ropes. Everybody else uses cables. He hadn't even had the chance to practice on the real ropes, right? He had that cup of coffee with WWE like 10 years earlier that was forgettable. Didn't even get to practice that move on the ropes. Jericho says go for the spot. He hits it like you said duck to water. Great moment right there and then you know just to hear him give you the stuff on Cena and this is like I keep harping on why Cena reigns right now is so good because they haven't put hands on each other. How good did he do a job there spelling out why Cena's good and why you almost need to establish that bedrock before you can put you know attack each other in the build to a feud. It was a really great point, and Styles has kind of laid it out there. Also in the red carpet interview that you and Nick had with him as well, how important storytelling is to a good match. Storytelling can get you excited for a match, but then you have to deliver still. And he kind of articulated, especially in this interview, why and how that worked with John Cena. I'll say this, and Roman Reigns has mentioned it, AJ's mentioned it, uh, guys we've interviewed in the past have mentioned it. We can talk as much as we want about how good of an in-ring performer and worker John Cena is. And John Cena can get plenty of, um, he, he has his doubters and he has people that criticize him for maybe some of the politics he might play that we don't know about because we're not there. But stuff, got, stuff that guys like AJ Styles say about John Cena, as he did this week, goes to show you how important he is to WWE and how important he can be to getting guys over. Now, he may have to like you for that to happen, but you know his, his value to the company goes well beyond the Make-A-Wish stuff, which is great, and winning the title and holding the title, which is great. It's doing things like work with AJ Styles, a guy who's relatively new, might be a veteran, but needs that help to get over with the WWE universe. Yeah, and, if they, that, and to hear AJ almost sort of tell you the if there was – he didn't say it like this, but when you do the math looking at the quotes, the one thing maybe he didn't have up at 100 level entering the WWE was, like you said, that full-on understanding of the storytelling. Told good stories in the past, didn't tell WWE-type stories, right? So it's almost like 40-year-old – Styles, where he comes in at 39, is the perfect time if you hadn't watched Styles before to maybe get to know him. Wrestlers sort of peak into their late 30s, I've always thought, because you're mixing in the end of your athletic prime 
with the beginning of your genius, brilliant, you know, wrestling mind prime, he had the athletic prime through the roof, although he did use DDP yoga right before coming to WWE to fix a back issue. So shout out to Diamond Dallas Page there. But, you know, the number one lesson he said he learned is that the story makes the match. He says, I learned that from John Cena. I also liked when he said the reason why people feel like guys get buried is because John Cena will take you and push you to another level. And now it's your job to maintain that when you are done with John Cena. And quote, that's a fairly strong point to push back on Cena right there that he does raise you. And certainly you can argue they raised each other. But Cena and AJ, when they touched the ring, they were both meant to be. No one looked like they were the lesser of the two. AJ looked like he belonged. And by the way, look at what he, you know, we kind of stopped our, our intro after 2016, really his first year. But look at what he's done since. I mean, he's had a massive feud with Shane McMahon leading into WrestleMania, which you kind of thought, oh, they're kind of just doing this. Meanwhile, what kind of story did they tell? AJ put the guy's head through a limousine window. Okay? <laughs> and then they went out and had a match that stole the show as the first match at WrestleMania 33. He comes back. He has the feud with Owens. And it's a little clunky because of how they booked it and had the finishes. But you can't tell me those that three of those matches were not fantastic, two with bad endings, one, you know, the final payoff at the end. Um, this guy has really just done it all, and he's taken that time with Reigns, who he really helped, and then with Cena, who Cena really helped him, and he's used that to elevate himself, elevate Shane McMahon, who he doesn't really, you don't really think he needs it, but Shane McMahon and AJ Styles in the ring together, I mean, that was... It was, it was poetry. It was fantastic. I said it in March, and people thought I was overrating it, and maybe I did, but that's just about the second or third best match I've ever seen in person. People are like, what are you, crazy? It was a pretty good opening match. No, I just watched artistry and guys selling out, and maybe it was the low expectations I had coming in. But, yeah. man, the, suddenly they had perfect chemistry. AJ Styles might be that, you know, that pocket knife that sort of, you know, that Swiss Army knife that can fit any shape and give you a perfect match with anyone, except for Jinder Mahal. Just wanted to add that in there from SmackDown a couple months ago. Well, we all know that no one can put together a good match. If, if Nakamura, AJ Styles, and Dolph Ziggler are uh, – actually, I don't even know why I said Dolph Ziggler. But if Nakamura and AJ Styles are not getting the best out of Jinder Mahal, then I'm not sure who's going to. But, but just coming off that, look who's feuding now, Owens and Shane McMahon. And how hot is Owens right now coming off of losing – to Styles. That's a good point. Well, 2017, the best part for so far for Styles is that they've kept him elevated where he belongs on top, not on the very top because they're doing the Jinder Mahal experience. The only letdown problem in the sophomore year is just WWE not always giving him the booking to deal with. I had a lot of problems with the Owens feud where they were just not doing anything and they weren't, you know, and, and they made the U.S. title not matter as much. Back where he belongs now, Adam, real quick, as we move forward, as he enters year three, who are the must-have feuds that we haven't seen yet, or even if you want to see a rehash that, that he needs to continue to go to the next level? So you have to stick, unfortunately, with the brand because you know even in these cross-promotional pay-per-views, they're not really doing inter-brand matches at this point. Now, John Cena's different. He's that free agent, but everyone else, you're kind of stuck. You're stuck with Blue, and he's stuck with Blue right now. Um, so based on that, there's one answer, and that's Shinsuke Nakamura. Def- definitely. Um, and it needs to happen. I mean, I think it's going to be WrestleMania 34. I would honestly, truly be shocked if we don't have them at WrestleMania 34 for the WWE title. That is the, the perfect answer in a lot of ways, the only one answer. But I think, though, that one day, and it may be a while, right? Because I think AJ's going to have a, a run in his 40s that's going to be similar to Shawn Michaels where he's going to hang yeah. around and still be at a very top level. So you're going to eventually see him with everyone you want to see him with. But him and Finn Balor, if done right, if yeah. bringing back the Japan narrative, if done right, 
it's going to be hot fire because, you know, the perfect body size for each other. They're going to put on great matches. They both have their own great charisma. And then, you know, it's going to be fun to see at that point who, who is in the company. Will Kenny Omega be in the company? Will somebody from NXT that we're not thinking about be the, ne- you know, be the next AJ Styles and come in and have a crazy year? It's really interesting to think about because I hope and I believe this guy will be doing this at 50. I'll give you one more name. Um, and we're not talking about him a lot right now because he's not on TV. I think there's an injury. Samoa Joe. Like, yeah, I want to see AJ Styles and Samoa Joe in WWE with Samoa Joe's new, you know, bad, total badass character. AJ is a pure baby face. And I want to see that transpire, too. So Nakamura, Finn Balor, Samoa Joe, that's three feuds with AJ Styles. You're talking about big money. And hey, dude, if Bron- if they keep booking Braun Strowman as the uh, as the absolute monster, that's the perfect, you know, David and Goliath feud you can have there. Yeah. By the way, shout out to AJ on our red carpet special, which is still available to listen on Apple Podcasts. When he says Samoa Joe, put me to sleep with that choke in TNA many many times well that'll wrap up a special bonus podcast edition do us a favor check out our other offerings this week the regular pro wrestling edition recapping the week that was in wwe and talking to the big dog yes roman reigns you don't want to miss mma with king mo breaking down all things ufc and mma looking back with king mo's breakdown of triple g canelo and then hit up our boxing podcast all the triple g canelo you can handle interviews with nonito donaire promoter richard safer wild and wacky huge week for the in this corner podcast you can hit me up on Twitter, B. Campbell CBS, at Silverstein Adam, at The Costos, our man, the handsome one. Slide in those DMs and keep the subscribing, the rating, the reviewing going on Apple Podcasts. Keep pumping that hashtag on social media in this corner. Adam, two words for the general public on the way out. We out. <laughs>